Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Some breaking news out of Carlton before we straighten back up for the cricket. And it does seem as though with this football club, it is this time of the year, every year. The Blues have confirmed just a matter of minutes ago that Sam Walsh has undergone surgery uh, to have a microdisectomy procedure on his back. He had that surgery last night. The young Carlton midfielder and the head of football, Brad Lloyd at Carlton, says due to the long-term nature of this rehabilitation, it isn't possible to confirm a set date for Sam Walsh's return right now. Once the opening month of the season has been completed, though, we expect to be able to provide more clarity on his expected return to play. So that is another off-season hammer blow for the Carlton Football Club with Sam Walsh, who had been struggling over the off-season, the early parts of the preseason with uh, that back complaint. The conservative approach hasn't worked, and uh, the young ball winner has now gone under the knife. We'll chat about that. I'd love your feedback as well, Carlton supporters. one 736 736 for mine, a nasty dose of of deja vu, but on to more promising things. And that is the Boxing Day test, just a few sleeps away now. And uh, Jared Waitley will, of course, be again be behind the microphone uh, at our sporting cathedral, the G. Jared, good morning to you and a Merry Christmas. Sam, hello. Yes, Merry Christmas to you. What a what a great way you've set the scene through that, that opening of glorious moments experienced at the Boxing Day test. So, Yes, there's an eagerness to get back there, I think, on oh, Monday. Is there ever. And uh, hopefully we get uh, some more to add to that highlight reel. I, I mean, the Boxing Day test, I mean, where does it sit in your sporting psyche, Jared? I mean, a lot of uh, people, myself, yourself, listening this morning, would have fond childhood memories of getting along each and every year. Where does it sit in your sporting psyche? It's high up there, but I must say, we, I very rarely went to Boxing Day before I started working. We, we would go either day two or day three. So that's where the difference is, I think, is mm. it sits comfortably with Melbourne Cup Day, Grand Final Day. That's where Boxing Day itself sits. But I often marvel. So I'll get there about eight o'clock um, on Monday morning. And if I wasn't obliged to work, I, I couldn't have dragged myself out of bed to go socially. <laughs> um I actually think it starts too early um, and the fact that you can spread it, really the first three days are sort of the cultural aspect. There's all sorts of breakfasts that are around it and so you choose one of the three and I do think there's probably a little bit of um, rose-coloured glasses. Is The Boxing Day crowd peaks for an Ashes test. Um, I was just having a look back through. Was, I've got a crowd here of 19,000 the last time. South Africa were here for Boxing Day. I haven't fact-checked that, but that's a very low number. Yeah. Um, but you're usually somewhere in the in the 50s to 60s. I probably hold the opposite view to you. If Stuart Fox thinks we'll get better than 65, I think that's actually a huge result for the day itself. Um, yeah, but it, it, it holds a slightly different place to the other two, I think. And the litany of events that you've just cast is some of those are best taken in from, from the beach or in front of the telly mm. and, I don't know how many people will tell you they were there for Dennis Lilly's spell, but most of us were watching on telly or listening on the radio, and it's just as vivid. And yet last year, when Scott Boland did what he did, the, the, the day three crowd hadn't even arrived when he started to do it. It happened so early in the day. Um, but those who were there for it will forever have, have that as part of their 
collective sporting imagination, but it, it, it loses nothing for those who are listening on the radio or watching on telly. Yeah, well, I was having a look at SEN. The digital crew upstairs went back through the numbers after Stuart Fox said he was expecting 65. Now, they had last year against England at only 57, but prior to that, we were talking, you know, COVID aside, mid-70s and into the 80s, in fact, for, for a Boxing Day uh, affair against New Zealand in the last couple of years. So, But look, it probably, as, as I said earlier, it speaks to a, a bigger uh, trend or a bigger change when it comes to taking in live sport, obviously, at, at the other side of COVID. Hey, we may pine, Jared, for a Boxing Day cliffhanger, but that has been the case around the selection table for days and days. You're either in the bowling camp or the Hazelwood yeah. camp. I mean, as Adam Gilchrist said last night, it's a frightfully difficult decision for the selectors. Some say they can't lose, but they probably can't win either. And it's hard to recall a more difficult selection call. Is it? So uh, uh, since the start of last summer, Australia's played 13 test matches. Josh Hazelwood has played three of those. He's taken five wickets at 48. And Scott Boland has has played five tests and taken 25 wickets at Mm. 10.36. Isn't that the answer? So you're not one for the credits in the bank theory? Yeah, but he's played three of the last 13 tests, Mm. Josh Hazelwood. I'm not sure that he is the incumbent anymore. In fact, I'm absolutely certain that he's not. (laughs) So the only thing he's done wrong is basically get injured. Uh, No, he's been dispensed with a couple of times during that period as well. Is... I just think, isn't selection... I I, I won't pose it as a question. Selection, to me, is about picking the right player at the right time in the right circumstances. And that is Scott Boland at the MCG. Australia knew that this was true last year and looked like total geniuses with that spell of six for seven. Mm. I just can't understand why you would even consider balking at it this year. He is the ideal bowler for the MCG conditions, however they present. And he's at the absolute peak of his powers. Is I probably would make the case that if you didn't pick him, and you favoured Hazelwood, then that would just be blatant favouritism, wouldn't it? Rather than actually selecting what's in front of you for this particular match. Well, I'm I'm no body language expert, Jared, but I watched the vision of Josh Hazelwood bowling in the nets yesterday with Andrew McDonald, the eager observer, and he was pretty animated as well. And there was a lot of com- uh, conversation between the two. I mean, if Josh Hazelwood was someone who was an outside chance, then would Andrew McDonald have been so hands-on in that net session? I don't know. I just looked at that and I thought maybe he's he's leaning towards Josh Hazelwood, but I might be reading it horribly wrong. Well, I think Australia needs Josh Hazelwood fit and ready to go um, because of the, the demands on the mm. bricks and the fact, uh, the fact that Cummins has already been injured. So he needs to be ready to go on Monday. And I suspect he does play at the SCG in his home test in those conditions. But it's just, I find it unfathomable. I, I am yet to hear anybody make the argument other than than historic performance of Josh Hazelwood. How could he possibly be in front of Scott Boland for the MCG? That, it, makes, it makes no sense to me. I think it would be one of the, the most peculiar decisions in selection history, any sport, if Boland was left on the shelf for this game when the selectors should be basking in their genius from last year. Yeah, it, it would make you wonder what sort of message it would send if he was omitted. 25 wickets at 10.3, as you say, from his five tests. So, I mean, it, not only has he done nothing wrong, he couldn't basically have done any more. So if he doesn't retain his spot, then what does that mean going forward, I, I suppose, is the other way to ponder it. I think it will emphasise to people that it's harder to get into the team than it is to get out. And that 
I noticed I was reading Alan Border's comments about Dave Warner today. So it's not about the fact that he can't make a run. It's about the fact that you don't want to promote anybody else. So that's, I think that's how a lot of people view cricket selection through the years. Um, just pick what's in front of you. And what's in front of you is, is so glaringly obvious. Boland is already in the team. And this is the test match that you're ready to let him loose for. So, yeah, any, any other decision, um, I, I just think would be so odd. The other ongoing selection query, if I can term it like that, is obviously David Warner, who plays 100th test at, at the G. I mean, how many more he plays after that has been the source, as I say, of just as much conversation as, uh, I guess, Australian cricket, Jared wrestles with that familiar sensitive reality, the mortality of one of its stars and where to go from here. I mean, what's your read on a player who's had some sort of career and the path that both he and, and CA would take from here? Yeah, so I, we will only ever know what's going on in hindsight. Um, when Warner tells us how he's planning for the end and he's already said that the end was going to be in the next calendar year uh, and we would only, only he and George Bailey will know exactly what conversations are being had. So that's, that's extremely relevant when it comes time to pick a squad for India. But I do think this week it's about, this is about acknowledging a true revolutionary in cricket it puts him in the, I think he's in the rarest company in the history of the game. Um, an outstanding player across three formats, but he changed at least two of those. Mm. So he, he is the man who brought T20 into the public consciousness and he is largely responsible for the initial surge in popularity when it moved from a novelty to something else. Mm. And he did that on the MCG and he did it with his, with his switch hitting. And then He defied all logic, really. It was felt that that style of cricket could never be successful in the longest form of the game. And he has succeeded to the tune of 100 tests and he's done it in a way that that few others ever had. And he's got the the numbers and the accomplishments to support that. And the sheer aggression and brutality that his batting brought to the the most traditional format of the game uh, has had a... That it has had a lasting impact. He's not necessarily the only player to have done it, but he's the he's the touchstone, I think, for Australian cricket. And a lot of the evolution that we are watching around the world at the moment, particularly with England, mm. owes to the Warner mindset. I think he changed the possibilities of Test cricket. He could change the flow of a match. Is quite often across five days, a tone was set. As he could abruptly change that through. Uh, the the pace, the the acceleration in his batting, so he holds his place as one of as one of the great openers anyway. But a true revolutionary, I suspect it puts him. Uh, there would be a category of between five and ten for the historians to work through, and he would easily sit in that. I do wonder what sort of wicket he'll be batting on as well, Jared. Come Monday, I mean, yeah. obviously the the pitch and the state of it in, up at the Gabba, such a talking point. Now Matt Page down here has basically been told to not read the press, given the pressure yeah. that's come on him and his team. I mean, they've got a narrow target to hit these days, Jared. It is, and it's a it's a living, breathing target as well. So that makes it. We've just seen how difficult it is. Is the, the Brisbane curator didn't mean to prepare that pitch, but that's mm. what we ended up on. So I'm a, I think Stuart Fox and Matt Page in combination have done an enormous job on on pitches that I felt after, what, 2017 and 2018, the only thing that could be done was to stick the TNT in it and blow them up. So those pitches uh, were pronounced dead. 
They developed a strategy before the replacement projects happened some way down the track around the, the grass levels. The pitchers have favoured the bowlers since, and I'm in favour of that. I do agree with the notion that pitchers that are slightly in favour of the bowling make for better test matches. They are more likely to produce thrilling test matches. And then when it goes wrong, you end up with a, a two-day test match like you had in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. So the MCG, I think, is under... Uh, they would like to back off where it was last year. I don't think they want a test match that finishes in two days and a session. Uh, and I think that is emphasised by what's just happened in Brisbane. It's imprecise. So what does, does 12 mils of grass become 10 mils or 8 mils? And what does that do? If you take too much grass off, does it lead you back to where we've been, which are those turgid batting pitches at the G, which nobody wants. Um, so I think I think Paige and Fox have, have credits in what they've been doing to be trusted. Um, yeah, and we'll all go there hoping. We want something with a bit of spice in it, something that provides a good contest and, and something that, that is able to be savoured over a slightly longer period of time. Now, Jared, can, can I talk to you about sprint car ownership, please? I mean, this cricket chat was just Ooh. a ruse to get to your blossoming love of this form of motorsport. I mean... Tell me about James McFadden and the Grand Annual Sprint Car Classic in Warrnambool that I know you've got an interest in. So we took our car to Warrnambool last weekend for its first drive. Yeah. Uh, so we'd been getting photos from the workshop as they'd been building it, and it's a it's a smashing-looking car. I tell you, it looks fast. <laughs> it does look fast sitting so still. Yep. Yeah, so the reports out of the ball was on the hot laps. It was the fastest car uh, out there. Brilliant. Um, I think we had a little bit of trouble in qualifying. So we went into the main race 14th and James steered us through to run second. So I'm a, when it comes to horse racing, Sam, I'm a videos man. You watch it. Oh, I like the way that's coming through. Mm. I really like the way that that's come through. So (laughs) we have a series of races where we're going to, we're going to trial at uh, Mount Gambia, Avalon and back to the bull a couple of times to be ready for the main event on January 29th. Um, yeah, but I think uh, I feel like we're in great hands with James McFadden, who seems like a ripper fella. Yeah, uh, and the car, the car is fast. So look out, Grand Annual Sprint Car Classic, January twenty nine. Look out. <laughs> He's had a fair journey, James McFadden. You're lucky to have him behind the wheel. Hey, Christmas Day sport in this country tomorrow. Jared will obviously debut. The Kings taking on Melbourne United six thirty p.m. up in Sydney in the NBL. I just wanted to quickly ask you your first. Or your impression of this? Is this an icebreaker or is it going to be a deal breaker? Do we do we go on from here? Yes, yes, I think we do. So th- this is, uh, whenever we stray to this conversation, mm. is you don't, you don't have to watch sport on Christmas yep. night, right? So nobody's imposing it on you. But by the evening and all the festive cheer that we've had, I, I like to go and sit on the couch at about half past eight and inevitably all there is is the Griswolds. Now, I love the Griswolds, and who doesn't? But year after year after year, just a little bit of a variety wouldn't go astray. So, yeah, I'm totally in favour of something there on Christmas night. Of course, it's the NBL as the great innovators who have done it. I think it will be successful. It needs the buy-in of the players. But there are plenty of people around our community who work on Christmas Day, and I think to arrogantly assume that we all have the day off that is a great disservice to a whole lot of people who'll be listening now who know that they they have work on Christmas Day. So, yeah, you don't have to, but I'll be glad that it's there. I imagine I'll get to it at some point. If it was the BBL, I would definitely get to it. 
um, flick that on after we've had the leftovers for dinner and mm. once it all simmers down a little bit. So, yeah, I think I think over time Christmas night sport will be, it'll be a permanent thing that you can either enjoy or let pass you by, just like the carols on Saturday night. I'll be watching carols. I'm not saying everybody has to, <laughs> but it's just a nice choice to have. So, yeah, I think this will be the start of something. And... I think cricket will probably look at this soon enough and go, ah, it should have been us. Yeah. We should have done it. We had the right product in the BBL, but we just weren't. We just couldn't quite solve the stadium piece. And I, I think that's what basketball is doing. Couldn't agree with you more. So as I set you off into the day, Jared, have you got your menu sorted for Sunday? I know you're pretty handy with uh, the blade around yeah. the kitchen. Yeah. So Sam, so we had our first Christmas yesterday. So we do my family and Claire's family uh, on different days. So I'm, I'm one in. I, the turkey yesterday was a triumph. Uh, the ham, I changed recipes on the ham this year. I just wanted to give something else a go. I was really happy with it, how it came up. Yes. But I've got that decision to make as to whether to default to the previous or whether to, to stick with that. Um, but, yeah, Paul the Butcher help, helps me out with the turkey each year. I pick one up and cook it on a couple of days out. That's my practice run. I'm ready to go. I feel like I'm hard to stop from here. (laughs) Very nice. Great to talk to you, Jared. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and and the family, and uh, can't wait to listen to you on Boxing Day. Enjoy it. Have a great Christmas to you and yours, and to everybody listening. I look forward to being with you on Monday. Great to hear from you. Jared Waitley there, uh, SEN Chief Caller, of course. uh, A big Christmas day in the Waitley household, leading into a big day for him, Boxing Day test. And I knew knew he would be strong on Boland and Hazelwood. Now, what did he say? He said, Boland's the ideal bowler for the MCG conditions. He said, if you pick Hazelwood, I'd consider that blatant favouritism. Strong thoughts indeed. David, sit tight in Ballarat. I'll get to you straight after the news. Andrew in Nidri, keen to get to you as well. Don't go anywhere, guys. Appreciate your patience. We'll take these news headlines and be back with you. Temper, they are the consumer's choice winner. Temper mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases conforming to the exact shape of your body. We're off and running here on the Captain's Run. We'll be back after these news headlines.